You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Victory Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. I guess Tuesday. We don't normally take the air on Tuesday, but we can still celebrate a full day later that the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Pittsburgh Steelers on primetime television. Nonetheless, I'm Anthony Kazenza coming at you again for both of us, John Sheeran and myself coming at you for the second time within 24 hours. John, how you doing, my friend? Where we we thought we would do a special day in time because of the holidays and what happened last night. But uh, good to be talking some Bengals football with you. There's only so many opportunities where you get to talk a Bengals win over the Steelers. So Tuesday, Thursday, the eighth day of the week, doesn't matter. We're going to do it. <laughs> well, good to be good to be talking with you. And I know, like I said, it's, it's obviously a different attitude and a different vibe this week as opposed to so many other weeks. It would have been all I, I said this. I don't want to just sound so cynical and downtrodden right off the get-go but I just said you know gosh if only this team was maybe seven and six and Joe Burrow was still the quarterback and they got that win last night instead of you know completely out of the playoff picture but still a big win we're going to talk about that what it means for the team what it means for the coaching staff what we saw last night and then we're going to give you a stat of the week a soundbite of the week talked about the Houston game coming up and so we've got a lot to get to but John Bengals handle business and this to me my overall impression, just to kind of start the show off and talking about this game, the, the way they won that game was very Pittsburgh Steelers-like in terms of how they usually handle the Bengals. The Bengals were in control throughout most of that game. They were incredibly physical on defense, grabbed a lot of turnovers, got after the quarterback. It was just the Steelers' formula that they used against the bully. The script was flipped. It was completely flipped. From the very beginning, it was... It was the defense just playing with an intensity that you don't normally see, especially in that game. And like, like the whole defense played up to their ability. Like, there's not one guy who played significant snaps that underperformed. They either played at their, at their or above their ability. They exceeded expectations on that side of the ball. And even when the offense was struggling, you know, at times of the game, the defense continued to step up. And we were just thinking, you know, through the first quarter, it was like five punts between both teams in the first five minutes. And you're like, oh, the offense is completely wasting what this defense is doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start to see some adjustments from Zach Taylor and on the offense side of the ball and just making that offense work with with Ryan Finley's limitations in the run game and supplementing the run game with the running backs with Ryan Finley's legs, of all things, and just maximizing on what the defense was able to do against a struggling Steelers offense that is probably not going to do much damage in the in the postseason if things don't you know drastically improve. So it I I don't think I've ever seen something like this in, in my lifetime against that team. And it should be cherished regardless of any um, um, circumstances surrounding it. 
So there are a lot of different stats and, you know, milestones, et cetera, that we could throw out about this game. And, uh, you know, obviously I would love if, if I've skipped some, I know you you've compiled some of these already for us for the show beforehand, but first win against the Steelers in five years, which is just mind numbing to think about. Uh, I, I think you had said, John, first Bengals primetime win since 2013 against the Steelers. Um, yeah. Okay. Against, yeah. Against the Steelers. And um, you know, I, I look at it, they did it with a third-string quarterback, essentially, and Ryan Finley. No, Two of their th- top three defensive tackles out of the game. Um, you know, all kinds of injuries everywhere. I, I, don't, I don't really know what happened. And I, I guess what, what you say is how bad of a team are the Steelers for an 11-win team, if you, if, if you even want to call them that. Uh, where, and where, where, where was this effort? throughout the rest of the season for the Bengals. I mean, it just, it just seemed like they took it up like 14 more notches on Monday night, as opposed to the the prior weeks. Like we can amplify this as much as we want. It was the first time they beat the Steelers since 2015 at Pittsburgh, that fame Sean Williams interception. That was the start. That was like the Bengals ninth or eighth win in a row that season. Their first home winning at the Steelers since also on Monday night football. And that was also, um, like yeah, I think that was the last time they won at home against the Steelers, and I think it was the first two-score win against the Steelers since 2003, which was the first time that Marvin Lewis beat Steelers. That was the first of Lewis's eight wins against the Steelers. This is their ninth win since 2003. It's like their ninth win since the start of the century. And go back to last month when you know we, we were recapping that loss in, in November. I I flat out said this isn't a rivalry anymore. It's just just two teams that play each other often, but one team always consistently is more prepared and comes out on top and just looks like just the more competent team. And the animosity is still there. And obviously it is still there based off what we saw last night, but this is a game that can veer this matchup into more of a rivalry status. I'm not going to apologize for not saying it wasn't a rivalry because now like the Bengals are, are on the track to actually making that the case. Now this is just the beginning. There's still a lot of work to go, but if they wanted to make a statement, they sure as hell did. Well, we spoke with Ike Taylor on the first game when Joe Burrow was in there, and he even kind of laughed at the notion that this was a quote-unquote rivalry just because of the disparity in the record. So, I mean, that's that's I know a lot of Bengals fans, including us, don't like to say it or hear that, but that's the reality of the situation. When you say eight wins, uh, or nine wins now, I think you said, uh, since the beginning of the millennium, and they play them twice a year, I mean, that's... That's eight wins in 49 wins in 40 games, 41 games, 42 games, I guess, if you include the playoffs. So, I mean, it's just, it's like, wow. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just not the, the the parody between these two teams has not been there. And like you said, the Steelers always seem to be far more prepared. They uh, wait for the Bengals to make their inevitable mistake. And they the Bengals did not do that this week. They just, they simply came out prepared. They came out very, very fired up. Uh, and I'm seeing some comments here and i want to get your thoughts on this too john garrett ray in the facebook uh chat says juju got them hyped up and then you have keith lake saying it shouldn't take juju to to fire them up i mean do you how much do you think that played into things this week that whole dancing on the logo and a lot of the chatter that juju likes to do it's the difference between us and professional athletes like i look at what juju did and what he does in pregame and i don't I don't find it to be infuriating or annoying. I just think it's more cringe than anything. So if, if I'm out there and I'm just warming up, I'm trying to pretend I don't see that. 
but that's just the difference between us and these immortal guys who are gridiron warriors. You know, they take whatever they can and they use it as a motivation. It's how Michael Jordan was so successful with the Bulls. Like any any little thing that can get you just more motivated and more inspired, like they take it and run with it. And that's exactly what Von Bill and those guys did. Like it's so rare, you know, does a, does a Bengals player, you know, fulfill their promise. It's what Chad Johnson did in 2003 against the Chiefs when he guaranteed a win over a then undefeated Chiefs team. Von Bell said, you know, it's it's a little disrespectful what Juju Smith-Schuster does before games, so we just got to go out there and hit him between the lines and make him pay, and that's word for word exactly what he did right right next to the midfield and caused, causing one of three turnovers against the Steelers. One of the first times they've been in the, in the in the plus turnover margin against that team, and it's ultimately why they ended up scoring 27 points with a Ryan Finley-led offense. So, again, the, the script was flipped. Usually you see... Like like you said, the Steelers capitalizing on Bengals' mistakes and just kind of run with, running with it. But now the Bengals get, went on top, and of course, you know it, it's either the Steelers, you know, dominate the Bengals throughout the game, the Bengals lose, or the Bengals have this early lead, they blow it, which is almost what it looked like in the third quarter. But it didn't happen. They they kept their foot down on their throats. And they ended up scoring like an eighty-yard touchdown drive. It's again, it's unlike anything that I think we've ever seen before. At least we've seen in the last twenty years. Agree. And again, this is like what we saw the Von Bell hit on Juju, you know, the Bengals in years past, the Bengals would do some talking and then, you know, you'd get a Heinz Ward block to Keith Rivers or, you know, I mean, it, it just, they would just out physical the Bengals and it was just the complete opposite. And I, I think not only was that just in general shocking, but the fact that a two ten and one team came out and just, really took it to a, a one of the better teams in the in the NFL at least in terms of record it just was very very shocking and it does while while you like what you've seen and it it makes you wonder where this passion has just been this entire I mean I know Matt Minnick uh who does the chalk talk episodes and does a great job on our podcast channel he talks about how he feels that this defense still is playing hard and has always continued to play hard for Lou Anarumo despite the offensive issues despite Joe Burrow going down with a with a season-ending injury but um you know this just was next level man this was absolutely next level what we were seeing from a lot of guys here so um i, I know you got a thought there so i'll let you have that but you know afterwards i want to i want to transition to ryan finley yeah um I, I i can't escape this and i know it's very subjective thinking it's not really what i like to do but i, I can't get this out of my mind like the Bengals have played the steelers before the season and the whole thing with this with this game, people looked at this game in the preseason thinking, you know, it's week 15, it's in the playoff race, it's in prime time, it's at home against the Steelers. It's a perfect time for Joe Burrow to like make a statement and this team to make a statement to close out the season. Joe Burrow's already played the Steelers and they got demoralized and embarrassed in that game. And Joe Burrow got roughed up. <sighs> like the Bengals were down before this game. Like they've never they've never been this much of an underdog against the Steelers. Like they've been bad for four or five years now, and they've yet to be the Steelers before this since 2015 but they've never been this counted out like they were just the just the ultimate underdogs in this game and usually you know in the last four years there's always been some level of expectation to at least compete nobody thought that they were going to compete in this game let alone win so the fact that they were able to not only compete not only win but win convincingly it's almost like they just really embodied that underdog mentality and i'm and i'm not saying i know this is going to sound weird and I'm not comparing Joe Burrow to Ryan Finley at all. They're, they're much better with Joe Burrow. But I, I don't know if this game turns out like this, if Joe Burrow is a quarterback. Because if Joe Burrow is a quarterback, 
there is some semblance of expectations to compete. And I wonder if the mentality and the preparation kind of changes and it's altered a little bit. Like there's no reason the Bengals should have been beaten that badly against the Steelers a month ago. If the, if, if largely the same team is out there in, the, in this game, it was completely different from a mentality perspective. And I'm not sure I would love to see it being replicated when the Bengals are actually competitive and have a decent roster out there because no one expected anything close to this. And I really think the Bengals embodied that and ran with it. And I would love to see it applied when they actually have a good team on the field. Well said. And I think, you know, what's weird about this game, and we're going to try to address some of these, but what's what was weird about this win is it almost presented more questions than answers on, on subjects because the result now asks, you know, it's forcing us and inevitably, obviously you would think management, front office, coaching staff, everybody, is this guy, you know, whether it's at certain coaching positions, positions on the field, all of a sudden it's that hope that they give you some mm-hmm. of these guys that, that have been dragged through the mud. And now it gives you pause to say, okay, well, this was a big, big win. And we, I mean, the coaching questions, the roster questions, some of these guys who are maybe fighting for a contract for next year, wh- what do you start doing? And I guess let's start with Ryan Finley because Brandon Allen looked pretty decent um, the week prior. Again, not lighting the world on fire, but looked pretty decent, um, managed the game well, left the game. And then, you know, you've got Ryan Finley coming in now who has had massive struggles, did fail to throw a couple of nice deep balls, but did have a couple of great plays. I mean, you look at the stat line, John, 89 yards passing, another 47 on the ground, so it's nothing special, but he made a couple of big, big plays in this game to really help the team get the win. It was very evident early that, like, I mean, Finley, he's, he's just not a competent quarterback at all. Like, the, some of those deep balls where he underthrew it, like I was talking to Ryan Patrick on Twitter at Royal, Royal Red Legs, like, that's not underthrown. That's all the arm that he has. That's all. The, that's all the arm strength that he possesses. So it's not like he's underthrowing. That's just. That's just how far he can throw the ball, and you can't compete with that. And that's obviously what the Steelers kind of ran into for most of the game with Ben Roethlisberger. But you have to credit Zach Taylor for just making it work. And it's not just about running the ball X amount of times. Dave Lapham, God love him, he just blurted out the, like the nonsense. Giovanni, the Bengals are 12-1 and one when Giovanni Bernard has 15 attempts. It had nothing to do with the X amount of attempts. It's all about what you have to work with, what is working, what isn't. Clearly, they weren't going to have any offensive offensive success relying on Ryan Finley's arm, and they had success running the ball with that offensive line with Zayra Sufi left guard, with Quinn Spina right guard. They, they were able to get movement against a really, really stout defensive line, and they were able to have marginal success with Bernard and the running backs, and then throwing out these read options with Ryan Finley, having like 47 rushing yards. Uh, Ryan Finley, who's a statue in the pocket, and he has the worst pocket presence of all, was running out there and had the most rushing yards for a quarterback since Ryan Finley of last year against the Raiders. So kudos to Zach for doing something that it, it was actually innovative. It was creative, and it was something that Mike Tomlin, of all coaches, couldn't counter as a, as a defensive mastermind. So kudos to Zach Taylor for actually coming up with a, with a plan that just caught the Steelers sleeping, and, and it worked, and it took advantage of the short fields that the Bengals were so often gifted with those turnovers. I, you know, I... I... Just looked at, again, a couple of those throws, the one to Alex Erickson who was open and it just fell short. And then I think there was another one, maybe it was to A.J. Green, uh, another deep ball that he missed. And, you know, that you miss those. But, 
I mean, that play that he made for a critical first down in the, mm -hmm. I think it was in the second half where he gets hit by three defenders and just throws a little dart to T Higgins that, that, that gets the first down. And, you know, he just was scrappy. He was just scrappy. And I, I guess the question there is, you know, are you comfortable with either Brandon Allen or Ryan Finley based on what you saw last night as the backup quarterback? Personally speaking, I don't, I'm not comfortable with either of them in 21 as a viable backup quarterback option, even with some of the positive things we saw from Ryan Finley last night and Brandon Allen the week prior. Right. It's it's the same discussion as we're going to have with the with the head coach. Like, does this change your outlook on Ryan Finley? It shouldn't. We know what he is. I mean, this was a gutsy as hell performance and he deserves credit for that. But like this, this formula for success, it's not sustainable. It, it was it was good for that night because it, it just happened to work. But it's not something that you can rely on if you have to use him as a backup. So interior offensive line, because they were getting some nice push again, another script being flipped in that the Bengals offensive line was, was kind of moving, moving some people around. I mean, not an overly dominant day on the ground, but in comparison to what the Steelers offensive line was showing in terms of allowing pressures and all kinds of stuff, it was just like, wow, this is a complete 180 from what we're used to. I mean, Trey Hopkins, we know he's going to, he's going to man that center spot. We know Jonah Williams when he comes back, you know, so we know a couple of things, but Quentin Spain seemed to play. I think he had a pretty decent PFF score. Xavier Suofilo, I thought he played okay, but his PFF score did not indicate that at all. I think he was at 50 or so. I mean, what do you make of some of the interior offensive? Fred Johnson struggled. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, what, what, what do you make of some of these guys? Is it time to just kind of say, you know what, maybe keep Spain and the rest of the guys, let's just overhaul and move on again next year. And it's going to depend on who's the offensive line coach next year. If it's still Jim Turner, you might see some of these guys being brought back. I think regardless, you bring Spain back for at least camp and see what he can do in camp at one of the spots. I mean, Xavier Sufilo, he's only making 3 million. So maybe you just hold on to him. Maybe you cut him in camp if you need the space, but I think both those guys earned earned a shot to at least be around and compete for one of the spots if they still have one of the spots open. Like realistically, they, like they should be signing a guard to start and drafting another guard for depth. I don't know if you can rely on Michael Jordan even be a backup at this point. He was active in this game, but obviously he didn't start. But yeah, I think both those guys have earned a shot to at least stick around. They need as many bodies, competent bodies as, as they possibly can. And I think both those guys would qualify as that, even if they're not guys that you're comfortable with starting they, they should at least be in the conversation to stick around i i think i mean i'm seeing a lot of stuff joe joe barone in the live facebook chat uh spain deserves another year will smith agreeing with him i think spain earns another contract uh josh holland saying fred johnson is not good <laughs> um uh, Keith Lakes is asking, is Spain under contract next year? No, he is not. Uh, he was on a rental deal this year, one-year rental deal. So um, the team is going to have to make a decision there. Xavier Suofilo is under contract next year, though. Mm -hmm. So um, they signed him, I think, to a two- or three-year deal. And uh, so he, he's around next year, at least under contract. Um, I, I guess we can save uh, the coaching conversations for just a little bit down the road. We want to get to the stat of the week and soundbite of the week. Um, I guess to wrap a bow on this game uh, a little bit, I know we're going to talk coaching future, et cetera, but I, I think we can all agree. Let's enjoy this one. I know a lot of people are saying, what about draft position? What about draft position? I mean, the Bengals can still hang on to a top five pick, even with this win. Um, and in all likelihood, I, I don't really see two wins necessarily coming to end the year. Maybe, maybe they're coming, but who knows? Uh, 
that's kind of my take. I just enjoy the win, take the win. And uh, if, if they are committed to Zach Taylor next year, at least it's a nice building block to, to feel good about in 21, I suppose. Yeah. This, this win is just an only positive. You shouldn't make decisions, huge decisions based off of just a one game sample, but a game like this is something that you can build off of, regardless of how good or bad the Steelers were. And the fact that Ben Roethlisberger would play like that, it was obviously so impactful. And that is probably the biggest reason why they were able to have the success that they had. I mean, and that's fine, but it's just it's just what they had to deal with. And they took advantage of that. It's something for the players who are sticking around next year to build off of and to just have that confidence going in, like building blocks, man. Like Matt Minnick talked about it all the time. Like you like winning establishes the culture that you want to eventually becoming a successful team. And if there's one win that like these players and coaches would, would like to have without their star quarterback out there, it's undeniably this one. It's a, a, against the, a team in a situation that they just don't win against. And they not only won, but they won convincingly and they deserve all the credit. We're going to talk a little bit more about Zach Taylor, his potential future with the team and what this win means for him and his assistant coach staff. Uh, John's going to give us a stat of the week in just a second here. Before we do want to remind everybody to tune into this show and all of the Cincy Jungle podcasts where you get them. You can get all of the audio downloads on your favorite streaming platform. We're on all the major ones. So check us out, leave us a review and also right under John's, shirt there is left arm you can click on the youtube link to subscribe to our youtube channel all of our stuff as well as met minix chalk talk is on this channel so subscribe how you can last night's post game show you guys are excited about it about the win over the steelers i love it i was telling john beforehand between youtube and facebook and you know all kinds of different the audio downloads um we're, we're nearing ten thousand in less than 24 hours um it, so that's that's pretty awesome just for one post game show late in the year for th- a three-win team that we're, we're pretty excited about that so thanks for the support download it get the show how you can with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The stat of the week this week is just to further highlight how terrible Ben Roethlisberger was. I mean, this guy, he's played in 16 games in his career at Paul Brown Stadium. He's only lost three of them now. He's only lost two of them leading up to this year, and he never had an adjusted yards per attempt lower than five. His adjusted yards per attempt last night, 3.82. He never had a yards per attempt lower than six. His yards per attempt last night, 4.47. And he's never had a passer rating below 70 last night, 62.4. It never had a completion percentage lower than 54 last night, 52.63. He was 0 for, depending on who you look at, next-gen stats or PFF, he was 0 for 10 and throws between 10 and 20 yards, including that interception to Mackenzie Alexander. He only had that one deep uh, pass to Deontay Johnson, which was the touchdown to start the third quarter and the start of what could have been the, the collapse that wasn't. He was just so... It, it, it was it was, it was was terrible. And I, I know they've been struggling for the past couple weeks now. They lost to uh, Washington. They lost to the, the Bills, I think. And like this has been kind of on the coming, but... He's never played this bad against the Steelers and he's been hurt against the Bengals and he's been hurt 
many times. And there's been all these stories in post game about injuries that he's dealing with, and that's why he's not doing so well. He he just looked visibly frustrated out there, and I don't know if he was dealing with anything in terms of what was bothering him, but it was just it was just inaccurate throw after inaccurate throw down the field, and it, it it's truly fascinating how you, we can quantify how bad he was last night. Yeah, I know at the end of the, you know, they have that Sports Center episode that follows the Monday night football game. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, there was a stat, I think he was one of 14 on deep balls in that mm-hmm. game, just which just was absolutely atrocious, which is a trademark that he uses against the, the Cincinnati Bengals in uh, a, a number of different ways, usually on broken plays too, John. Right. Um, that was something that, that was not visible yesterday that is – you know he did he did move around a couple of times to avoid some pressure and I go and I was thinking to myself oh here we go here's the here's the old Ben backyard football play and he never seemed to make it happen it just wasn't there for him and I thought that was really interesting yeah and hats off to the defensive line too Carl Lawson had a career game a game that we've never seen before he had like nine total pressures but he won in so many different ways throughout the game it was a complete game that Carl Austin's never had before and great timing for him. He's just got two games left until his second contract. The entire defensive line just played just great. It was Sam Hubbard having, having a decent pressures off the edge. You had Mike Daniels, Marcus Hunt, Xavier Williams, even Christian Covington, all plugging gaps up the middle, providing interior pressure. And yeah, there was very rare opportunities for Ben to extend plays. And that's not even his game at this point. He, he just likes to get the ball quickly. And when he wasn't able to do that, we really saw the struggles kind of amplify. So that's the stat of the week. We've also got a soundbite of the week. I guess I will just recycle it from, and it might it might have a little bit of my son in the background. Hopefully, it, hopefully he can he can keep it a little quiet. I'm on solo dad duty here, so he's hovering around me throughout the show. Uh, but for those who joined the post game show, we started off with this with this thing. It's on the Bengals Twitter account. It is Von Bell uh, really taking it to. Juju Smith-Schuster, and we'll share it here again here. Let me pull this up. There's Slurpee right there. Yay. And he's celebrating, by the way. Can you hear it? I mean, you should be. All right, here we go. So, real quick one, but, I mean, hey, we've seen it all a thousand times now. Von Bell just absolutely took it to Juju Smith-Schuster and really kind of the trademark image of the game, John. I seen 19. I seen 19. So, that's all all there needs to be said. (laughs) You know what? He, uh... Juju, what do you what do you just quickly what do you make of what's what you've seen from him in recent years? He started off as a rookie really hot. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that he, I think he played with Antonio Brown one of those years, and then since it's kind of since he's been kind of the guy, it's fallen off a little bit for him. Uh, maybe that coincides with Ben's decline a little bit and his injury, obviously last year. But what do you kind of make of Juju just watching some things? Um, it seems kind of kind of like more more mouth than production at this point. Yeah, I think like the split that everyone looks at is with Antonio Brown and without him. And I think his role has kind of changed as well. He's been more more of a vertical threat than he had been when, when Brown was there. He, so his average depth of targets increased a little bit in the last couple of years. And yeah, I think Mike, Mike Tomlin said something about, you know, we, we're, we're going to have a chat with him about what he does in the pregame. You know, it's it, he probably isn't going to stick around. He is a free agent this year, so this might be the last time that he plays the Bengals for the Steelers. 
Interesting. Interesting. And it's, you know, like I said, very, very productive guy, especially early, early in his career, but it's really fallen off here of late. So that was the stat of the week and the soundbite sound of the week. We had a little overlapping probably of my of my son talking over the, the Von Bell hit. So I apologize if there's a little bit of that. Hey, it's in the COVID pandemic. You get a lot of kids in the background of videos and sounds, so I apologize, but that's that's what we're dealing with on a number of different fronts. So hopefully he wasn't too loud on that, but I uh, hope you enjoyed both of that here. John, you want to kick us off about the coaching discussion and other facets here before we get into the Texans game? Yeah, so we kind of teased it. You know, like this game was tremendous in every way, shape, or form. You can't diminish it. You can't take away anything from the Bengals. At the same time, when you come to evaluate a team with 53 guys and the coaching staff with 23, 25 coaches, judging it all on one game samples is not exactly good process. It's the NFL is largely a reactionary business is not really pro- proactive. And that's what the Bengals need to remember when they think about what to do with this coaching staff, because, you know, this was Zach Taylor's what 30th game. And as an NFL coach, this was his fifth win. This was his um, first against the Bengals' most hated rival, but it was still his fifth win in 30 tries. So the, the previous 29 games, they're still there. The The previous incompetencies and mistakes and, and failure to develop and progress, that's still there. It was a fantastic coaching performance from Zach Taylor, but we have to remember, we have to remember what we felt before this game. And I, I, I promise you, I promise you, if Zach Taylor wanted to win one game, if he wanted to have one game to bank his entire job security on, he would undoubtedly pick this game because it just meant so much. And it was so late in the year after Joe Burrow went down. But I bet he really wishes it was the last game of the year because against the Texans, they're in a half point underdogs. So you still have the Ravens coming. Ravens are peaking at this moment while the Steelers are regressing. So who knows how that Ravens game is going to go out. He still has two more games. And this job, excuse me, this game may have saved this job, but it probably shouldn't be the case if that's how they're going to go about it. There's two different points of discussion here, John, right? It's should he keep his job and will he keep his job after this after this win? And I think a lot of us, we can be happy for him. We can be we can be very impressed with the performance by the team and the game plan that he put together with his third quarterback of the season and all of the issues that he's had to navigate over the past two off seasons, which we've talked about ad nauseum, right? I mean, we could talk about all that. And it, he really, ha- in some ways, hasn't had a fair shake on a lot of the injury fronts and how, you know, how he started both off seasons with the team. But, I mean, the numbers are what they are. Like you said, five wins and a tie. And two division wins out of out of you know that, that he has to to speak of both were impressive, but I mean I, I just I think it's too little too late or it should be too little too late um, with, with with a win like this. I, I was impressed with what I saw. Uh, you know the defense sh- continues to show some improvement, so I know we're going to talk a little Lou Anarumo next. Um, but then, you know, I, I just – I don't – I think this is a trademark type of situation that we've seen Bengals management at least a long time ago when guys like Bruce Coslett and Dick LeBeau would have promising endings to seasons, and then you'd see a lot more of the same the following season in terms of losing. So – and they, they bring them back on the hope of a couple of signature wins to end the year when the season's already out of control. So my thing is, is I don't, I don't necessarily think it should – Save Zach Taylor's job, I think it very well could. 
It, it very well could. In fact, I would put. I probably put that in like ninety percent. I think that ten percent is still. If you get blown out by Deshaun Watson, and if you get embarrassed by another division rival as the last game of the year, because that's like these last two weeks, if they end badly, that's gonna that's gonna just linger in the minds of of us and the front office a lot more than this one win against the Steelers. And again, a great, fantastic big win that they all should be proud of. But yeah, if they finish out with, with two losses, that's it's going to go back to that question. It might just end up being a 50-50 thing again. I think if they if they got destroyed this game, I don't think it would be a question. He would be fired. It would probably be right. towards the end of the season. He wouldn't get fired after just this game, but he would be fired at the end of the season. This was it, it was as good as he could possibly hope for. But you know, if they ended up winning against the Browns in week seven, if they ended up finishing that game against the Colts, if you know, Burrow didn't get hurt and the offense line progressed and he has this win, then you have a lot of things going for you along with this win. You can feel confident about him making that jump in the year two. He needs to still show that this wasn't just the end, that they can still finish the year out strong and be competitive or maybe win one or two of these final games and knock the, knock the Ravens out of the playoffs. If you can do this against the Steelers, then you should be able to put something together to beat those two teams. I would, I that's an interesting point you make there that if he does rattle off a win or two, particularly against the Ravens here at the end, um, you know, I, I think we're seeing a little bit of a different tomb. You know, maybe we're kind of sitting here saying, okay, now there's a little bit of signs of progress, even if the season is out of control. But I mean, I, the sample size is what it is at this point. And, you know, there, there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of bad performances, despite all of the, the difficulties he has had to navigate as the team's head coach. There are a lot of negative showings and poor showings on tape uh, and against some very important opponents in the division, uh, you know, prime time, that sort of thing. It's just, uh, it's, I I, I don't, again, I go back to this very well could have saved his job. I don't, I don't necessarily think it should. Right. And uh, again, even if he does come back, it doesn't mean that his entire staff's coming back because at the end of the day, they're going to win three, maybe four games at the end of the season. Heads are going to roll in, in, in some way, shape, or form. I don't know if it's going to be just Lou Anarumo. It probably will be Luna, Lou Anarumo and some others. Jim Turner is the biggest question mark to me still. Like it, he should 100% be fired. There's so much evidence behind it. He was not their first choice to begin with. They were trying to get rid of him this past year with, with Bill Callahan, but that whole deal went went th- through and that just didn't happen. Like they've been trying to get an upgrade there, and this is like the perfect opportunity to do it. But at the same time, if you bring back Zach, are they still a package deal? It would have to be something that you know the front office just kind of steps in and says, you know, we trusted you guys to protect our franchise quarterback, our marketing monster, and you guys got him hurt you know, nine, 10 weeks into the season. They have to put their foot down with, with that situation. I think the best case scenario for Bengals fans is obviously Zach gets fired and a whole new staff comes in. But I think the likely scenario is that you have key assistants be replaced. You give Zach 2021 one final year to really prove himself if this win was enough for them to kind of convince themselves of that. In terms of Turner, this is where I, I, I kind of had this thought last night and – and today, do you think that, you know, Zach's going to back Turner and when they go to management and they say, you know, they say, you know, you, we've got this much money to spend or this is where we're planning to spend in terms of the offensive line. I mean, do you think it's Turner that's talking management into believing that, hey, you know, I can do stuff with with guys like Fred Johnson. I can do stuff with these um, unproven or 
journeyman guards and they collect him and we'll, you know, we'll make it work. Do you think it's Jim Turner that is talking management and maybe even Zach Taylor into that? Or do you think it's management saying that they're not allocating enough resources to that position group and thus not making either guy successful in terms of offensive line performance? Well, what I heard is that you got, you know, Duke and the Blackburns, they wanted to invest more in the offensive line and it was Turner and Taylor having confidence in the guys that they had and, you know, bringing back Jonah Williams from injury, developing Michael Jordan, they kind of convinced them to not really invest in that position. They put all their faith in the guys of, for them to develop, and they've done the opposite of that. You know, Jonah Williams is decent, but he was a first-round pick. Trey Hopkins is decent, but he's been an established starter for some years now, and everything else has just not developed the way that, that they planned. And they were, you know, fortunate enough to have Quinn Spain available for them to sign. He's been able to kind of be a, a patchwork in there, and they've had Alex Redmond for a couple of years, so he's been able to kind of integrate himself in the system, but they placed all their faith in these two guys to develop this position group and they failed to do that specifically with Jim Turner. So there has to be some fall guy or fall guys with the season. If it's not, if it's not Taylor and Turner has to be one of them. I, I but again, though, I just, I just worry that Taylor's going to keep him on as a package deal. So let's move on to like guys like Anna Rumo, uh, Brian Callahan uh, are, are these guys because there was some talk. There was a report earlier in the year that Zach Taylor was going to stay, but it was going to come with an assistant coach shakeup. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've kind of said, you know, Jim Turner is probably one of the guys that needs to be looked at to go. What about Anna Ruma? What about Callahan? Are, are we even sure exactly what Callahan does specifically on the offense if he's not the guy calling the plays? That's exactly what me and Matt talked about last night on the pregame show. Like, no one really knows what the responsibilities are for this coaching staff. It's like it, you have a bunch of guys who are, let's face it, pretty unqualified for their roles. So they just delegate a lot of responsibilities and just kind of split it up pretty equally. So no one has too much accountability on their shoulders. Obviously, Callahan doesn't call the plays. It's Taylor's job. But Callahan still, I think, has a lot of input on the, like the overall design and structure of the offense. And normally, an offense line coach like Jim Turner, he would be the run game coordinator. And we've seen like three different types of, of schemes in the last two years of how they run the ball. And only like one of them has been successful. And on defense, you have Al Golden, like calling third down packages and blitz packages. And Andy Rumo is doing the rest of the things for defense. So like no one really knows what everyone does because it just seems like there's just not one person who can handle the normal amount of responsibilities for whatever he's supposed to do. So I think if Taylor stays, then Callahan probably stays um, because there's not that much accountability that you can place on Callahan. But like the writing apparently has been on the wall for Anarumo. That's what the athletic beat guys are saying. And like all the logic points to Turner as well. So there has to be some major shakeups if, if Taylor is still here. So you were so far, you're saying that, and I think I'm in agreement with you. Taylor stays. If you're, if we're going in the prediction machine here, Taylor stays, Callahan stays, Turner and Anarumo are the, are the scapegoats for, for what's been going on over the, this off season for the for the past two years provided they don't get embarrassed in these next two weeks taylor stays anna rumo's gone turner's still 50 50 to me yeah yeah uh this is something that was brought up and you know i don't want we don't want to get too deep into draft quite yet um i think we're going to start transitioning to that towards the end of the season and into the off season um as we look at you know, prospect profiles and film and all of that. But some people have brought it up. I don't remember exactly who 
there were a handful of people in our live chats that brought it up. Basically, what do the Bengals do at this point if they lose out on Panay Sewell um, based on this win and or maybe even others coming up uh, at the end of uh, end of the draft? It's it seems like as we sit here, we know a lot of things can change, but in the middle middle end of December, uh, it seems like Sewell is probably not going to be there in the draft beyond number three. Um, and now that seems to be even in question, depending on what the Jets do as they sit at number two. So what do you think the Bengals do? You know, I mean, it, it, say Sewell's gone at number three. Is that a trade back scenario? Is that a grab a Jamar Chase scenario? Um, you know, there, there are a lot of different options they could pursue there at that point. What would you like to see them do um, now that they've kind of muddied the waters with this win against the Steelers? Right. And as long as they lose the next two, they still have that three spot. I know it's not yeah. like the goal or anything, but it's still right. Um, they're still in the driver's seat for that. But even if, even if they do get a chance to draft school and everyone seems to be worried that the Jets are going to take him, which that doesn't really make any much sense to me. They still need a quarterback. Um, even if they do get the chance to draft school, like a trade back always has to be in their minds because people got so encapsulated with like Burrow or nothing. Right. You know, we have, we have, they have to get the right quarterback. They have to get the best quarterback. They don't have to get the best offensive tackle, even if in Sewell is definitely worth the hype. You know, he's, he's just that good. Not necessarily the Anthony Munoz and Walter Jones hype, which is what Mel Kuyper is saying, but he's definitely, he's, he's, he's got the stuff. He's got the goods and he's definitely the best tackle in this class, but you don't, need need that you just need a guy who's competent and capable to be a starter in this league and if you're able to trade back and get assets for other competent starters to fill out your roster and still get a quality tackle that should definitely be in consideration now if if i were to guess if they were able to draft Sewell, they will probably still draft Sewell because they don't really trade back that high up in the draft i think the last time they did it someone told me it was dave klinger back in 1992 so it would be unusual i guess for them to trade back in that scenario but with how their roster is from an overall sense and how much they still need. And the fact that just in any position, that's not quarterback the drop off between the first guy and the second guy, the value is not that large when you, when it's not a quarterback, they should always be considering trading back. I think Sewell, if he's there, you take him, And then what you do at that point is maybe at the top of the second round, Maybe at the top of the third round, what you do is you look to to make a move back from there and collect a couple of picks to maybe get additional, you know, if it's in the second, maybe you get an additional third round pick or fourth round pick, that sort of thing um, to, to get some other assets there. And that way you keep your your high end blue chip top five pick and potential offensive lineman there. If he's gone, I think you explore a trade back. But, um, you know, that that also depends upon what quarterbacks are available and what your draft antenna is telling you in terms of how teams feel about a Justin Fields, how they feel about the kid from uh, was it Zach Wilson from BYU. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, you got it. You got to be able to kind of read the room to speak. And um, so, I mean, that's going to be interesting, but if Sewell's gone, I think that you you should explore a trade back, probably not way, 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 (laughs) not way back because you could lose out on some high impact players that could help you out right away. But um, you know, I think if he's there, you, you got to take him and then and then maybe explore trading back in some of the other higher rounds that you're going to have a top pick atop those rounds, too. Also, like we don't we have no idea what's going to happen in the draft. We have no idea what the Bengals are looking at. I think we can all be pretty confident and say that they're going to be spending again this free agency. They're going to be doing everything in their power in the offseason to build that offensive line. 
they, they should be attacking not only the guard spot, the tackle spot in free agency too. If they're able to get a starting caliber tackle in free agency, it opens up the draft. And, and it doesn't mean that you don't, you don't still draft Sewell if he's the best player available and you don't find a trade partner, but you can't bank all of your solving your issues on the offense line with a guy that may or may not be there in the draft. You have to be flexible. That's just, that's what these teams do. They don't bank it on one player unless they're picking number one overall. And there's a surefire pick at quarterback like it was last year and like it is this year for the for now the Jacksonville Jaguars. So they should be looking to invest in tackle and frequency. There are a couple of guys that would be clear, definite upgrades over Bobby Hart. They have some of the most cap space out of any team in the NFL this season. Like they have the they have the capability to do this in both free agency and the draft. They can't all place it all in the draft. Agreed. And to that point, I mean your discussion you had with Duke Tobin a while ago kind of proved that point. They don't like to pigeonhole themselves into certain position groups when it comes to the draft. What they like right. to do in free agency, they like to fill the needs in free agency and then go best player available as much as they can in the draft. So, you know, you're you're very correct in your assessment that the Bengals not only need to address the offensive line, but I, be, I believe they will. Now, whether it's on a Scherf or a, you know, one of the – a, a Toonie, that sort of thing, whether it's on one of those guys, we'll see. But um, – they the, the needs how they address needs is free agency and then what they do is they try and go best player available even if they have a high pick in the in the draft right. they try to avoid being desperate at a specific position and uh, you know they, they, that's why sometimes they surprise you with a John Ross pick a Tyler Eifert, Eifert pick that sort of thing where you go whoa where did that come from well it's because he he, he was the highest player on their board at that time so um, that's that's a good point that you brought that up. And, and Will Smith in the comment section, they reach for price. And look at look how that happened. That's why they don't like to do it. You know, right. they, they had a dire need at center and they advertised that they love Frank Ragnow and then the Lions took him. And now Ragnow is one of the best young centers in the league. And Billy Price is riding the bench. So, yeah, it, it's just t- take care of stuff in free agency. Do what you can. It doesn't all have to be in the draft. Was Ragnow the guy that had the fractured throat or something recently? Yeah. I, oh. I asked my girl. I asked oh. my girlfriend about that because she's in medical school, and she said it was kind of weird to label it like that. Where it was probably just something with his, like his vocal pipe? cords. Oh. Yeah, something like that. Oh. But I don't know how. You, I don't know how that happens on a football field. Oh man, I heard that. I was like, "What is that? That is uh, total non sequitur." But I, I remember reading that. I was like, "Oh, gross! That sounds terrible." Anyway, <laughs> that's what we think is happening beyond uh, with the with the coaches. Some of the direction of the team after this win against the Steelers, you know, um, that's obviously a big point of conversation and what the team should do with its staff and its roster going into next season. And, uh, you know, this, this game very well, as we, we kind of said, this game very well could have saved Zach Taylor's job. If there was any doubt of it being in jeopardy for 21, we're going to transition to the Texans game in just one second. Before we do, uh, I want to once again, Remind all of you fine folks to download the program how you can on your favorite podcast streamer. Check us out on YouTube. Check us out on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. And, of course, check out our, our good buds on the podcast channel. Their, their shows as well, Matt Minix, Chalk Talk, and Ace and Zim doing Orange is the New Black, the New Stripe City YouTube channel. You can check out their channel too. Um, a lot of good stuff on the channel. We're going to give you, towards year's end, we're going to give you – the numbers in terms of downloads and what we've done and and the numbers have been immense thanks to all of you listeners and we can't thank you enough so we appreciate the support and hopefully we can count on that going forward so two games to go 
one final road game to go. Zach Taylor is yet to still win on the road anyways. And he's got one more chance this year against the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson. You know, they've um, they've only won once in the past four games. That was against the Lions on, on Thanksgiving Day. So they're on a three-game skid. They're, I think, a couple spots ahead of the Bengals in the draft order right now, even though they don't even have a first-round pick. That belongs to the Miami Dolphins. Um, Deshaun Watson's better than Ben Roethlisberger. I think that's the biggest point of conversation that we can have with this. Like, as bad as the Texans are, and they are undoubtedly bad, they're playing with Romeo Cronell as their interim um, head coach, and their offensive line is just not very good. It's very, very much like the Bengals. They they're without Deshaun Watson's favorite receiver and Will and Will Fuller, and that's taking a huge hit on Watson's production, but. Watson can still make things happen. I think that's going to be the biggest thing in this game. You know, like the Texans still have a good defensive line with J.J. Watt up in there, so it's probably not going to be a lot of success for Ryan Finley in the offense. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that read option stuff again, but it's it's got to be how this Bengals defense, who has played against some very bad offenses and have taken advantage of that, how they go up against a true franchise quarterback in his prime and Deshaun Watson playing on the road and trying to win on the road for the first time since 2018. I have not watched a lot of Texans football this year, but I did happen to watch them a little bit on Sunday for what little football I was able to catch. And uh, I think they were playing the Colts there and they came oh so close to tying it up at the end. And, you know, it's just what happened was the sign of a struggling team. They were going right into the end zone and and making a game of it late, right as I forget who it was, but uh, I think it was Kiki QT. Uh, was going in with the with the reception, and it just as he's literally falling towards the end zone to tie the game up, the ball just kind of pops out from <laughs> from behind him, goes into the end zone, and then the Colts get the ball, and game game's essentially over. So, you know, I, I, it's just it seems as if they this is a team that just despite how great Deshaun Watson is, they just can't get out of their own way, and um, you know that the, some of the decisions they've made in recent years in terms of shedding players off their off their team uh have have really come back to bite them you know and and I, I, you know you look at Hopkins not being on this team anymore that just absolutely hamstrung Watson and now you're saying Will Fuller's not not in the lineup so that's a major blow to them too so this is a very winnable game uh especially based on what we saw last week and it's just a matter of short week for the Bengals and are they going to be able to kind of at least come even close to emulating that type of energy level that they had on Monday night, or if they're, if it, they just kind of went all out and are they going to come out flat this week? It's, it's a great point. Like again, I think they would love if that Monday night game was like the last game of the year, it would be such a momentum builder into the off season. And Zach Hill's job would hundred percent be safe. Now they have two more games to play and it's going up against two of the brightest young quarterbacks in the game right now. And, I think you hit the nail on the point or, or the nail on the head. Deshaun Watson can only do so much with this team and it's so deficient in so many areas. And it's all because of Bill O'Brien's incompetence as the overlord coach of that team. And, you know, the, the, there's a player revolt to, to get him out of there led by JJ Watt and kudos to them and good for them for finally doing that. And they're going to get an actual general manager this off season and hope, hopefully good head coach. I think they're interviewing or they did interview Jim Caldwell. That would be a great fit for them as a guy who can, who can coach up to Sean Watson. Yeah, I think they the interviewed time. Riddick for GM too, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Riddick, I mean, Riddick's yeah. been interviewing with everybody. I think everybody, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's interviewing with Jacksonville uh, this week as well. So it, yeah, it's, it's like 
it's a game that the Bengals should at least be competitive in, even with Brian Finley or, or Brandon Allen quarterback. We don't even know what Brandon Allen's situation is. I mean, again, we we, we knew that like bone bruises take a little bit longer than a week to heal. We, he could be coming back for this week. We have, just have no idea. He didn't practice last, last week, so I think it's safe to bet that he's at least going to be limited at, at best-case scenario for this week. And, yeah, if Ryan, if Ryan Finley's out there, obviously the Texans defense is not even close to what the Steelers are, so he has a little bit more chance of success. But it just this just feels like more of an ugly type of game that we're going to witness because, again, how are they going to match that intensity and energy against a team that's not the Steelers? It's going to be hard for them. So, obviously, I've said this a couple of times, John, but the Bengals, given their record and what we saw this last week against the Steelers, and potentially with Zach Taylor coming back, we they're in roster evaluation mode. And some of these guys who are either their contracts are expiring or some of these positions that may be up for grabs next year, they need to evaluate who they have and see if they, they believe enough in some of these guys to be able to fill those spots. And one of them is in backup quarterback. So you mentioned Brandon Allen. We saw what Ryan Finley did this last week, good, bad, and ugly. Um, do you have a preference on who to start just to be able to give yourself some sort of an answer as to if either of these guys have, have what it takes to be a competent backup to Joe Burrow? Oh, it's a hundred percent Allen. Like, like Finley just is what he is at this point. And Allen is barely better, but he's still, he's still better. He still has a, just a, at least a capable arm where he can just make some of these throws down the field. And that's not saying much because in the games that he did, that he did play, he, didn't, he couldn't really push the ball down the field. At least Finley has like a long completion. Like, like that throw to AJ Green, nobody saw that coming down down the right side. Right. That ball was pretty, man. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. It was It was about as good as he could do. So yeah. like if if Allen is healthy, he, sh- like, he should be out there. I think Finley's bed was made as soon as Allen took over, like overstepping him on the depth chart. Like that, that kind of came out of nowhere, but – when you just think about it, it just makes sense. He's just the better quarterback. So the, like the fact that that happened in Finley's second year, it just just doesn't seem like he's likely to come back at all in 2020, regardless of what he did against the Steelers. And like seven for 13, 89 yards. It's just, it's not a lot that you can really hang your hat on. A win's a win, but like Allen's the better quarterback and he's the guy that they should be evaluating if they, if he's worth keeping around for next year. What are some of your keys this week? I mean, I, I guess, you know, it depends once again on who will be under center. Um, I, I think, you know, I know we all kind of rolled our eyes to that non sequitur stat that Dave Lapham threw out with Giovanni Bernard running the ball and all of that. Um, there, But there is still, I think, some value in being able to have some form of offensive balance, especially mm-hmm. with these guys who are going to be playing quarterback. Um, so, I mean, I think – Again, Houston's a team that's morale is probably pretty down. The Bengals largely their, their morale is largely down, except for what happened this last Monday. So they may be kind of up. It's just to me, I know it's old cliche, but if the Bengals are able to kind of make some some hay running the football, uh, it just kind of one of those get your thumb down on an appoint, uh, opponent who is down, get on them early type of thing, and uh, impose your will a little bit. Um, that's one of the keys. And, you know, I, I think they got to continue this pass rush because it is no coincidence to me, John, that the Bengals had their best pass rush game of the season against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they had three turnovers. Right. It's hundred percent. And like Watson at this point in his career is so much better at creating out of structure and w- working around money pockets than Ben Roethlisberger is. So that's gonna be a challenge to not only, you know, pressure Watson, but to rattle him and force him to make some errant throws. Like, if Watson has a good game, 
it's going to be hard for the Bengals to win. It's just th- it's just the reality of the NFL. Like the Bengals were in that game because Ben Roethlisberger had like a 25 grade from Pro Football Focus. He <laughs> yeah, yeah. And part part of it was for how good the Bengals defense stepped up, but Roethlisberger was completely inept for all but one drive. If Watson has two or three good drives, that's that's going to be some points that the Bengals probably aren't going to be able to muster up. You know, um, so yeah, it's it's going to be pressuring Watson. It's going to relying on Carl Lawson, Sim Hubbard to carry the pass rush because they're just not going to have a lot of interior presence. You know, they have a good matchup against uh, the, the tackle who's not Laramie Tunsil for Houston. And, you know, their offense line is still a work in progress, which it like, has been for Watson's entire career. And and again, like you're going up against a Texans team that's also up there in pass rush win rate. You know, J.J. Watt is not his brother at this point, but he's still very competent in both phases of the game. Like they, they got players, you know, and they, they were missing D.J. Reader in the interior, but they still have a defense that can that can force turnovers and make and force guys to make mistakes. So it's I, I think you know the Texans are not the Steelers, despite how much the Steelers are struggling. But you know the Bengals are on a high right now and they're probably feeling themselves and they're going up against a team that they should beat. It's going to be interesting to see how they prepare mentally and how they come out of the gate. Yeah, this is another one of those games on this on the schedule now that you look at it and you see what's transpired for both teams. From offseason draft all the way, you know, all the way through the season with injuries. And you kind of said, man, this could have been a really fun one. This really could have mm-hmm. been a fun one if, you know, Texans keep Hopkins and AJ's playing up to up to par and he's having a comeback player of the year type of year. You've got Burrow, you've got Watson, two of the best young quarterbacks in the league. I don't know. It just could this could have been such like a fun little game, you know, maybe even a sneaky one for for one of the teams to to get into the playoffs if everything fell correctly. But it's just it's now you look at it and you go, oh boy, there's like seven combined wins here. So um, right. <laughs> it's just, you know, unfortunately, that's just how it goes throughout the course of an NFL season. Um, what, what do you think the Bengals, because obviously Deshaun Watson's a little bit different quarterback than Ben Roethlisberger. What do you think they need to do on defense um, to maybe stifle him at this point? Because he's he does more with his legs than Roethlisberger does most definitely. Right. So, I mean, that, that affects the pass rush too. It's a lot of it. Is contained work, so they might not be able to be as aggressive in, in some of their pressure packages. Is I mean, Bengals secondary played out, out of their minds against the Steelers. You know, all all those starters, including William Jackson, who had that drop pick and pass interference, they all played really well. You know, Darius Phillips had was targeted like thirteen times, he only allowed like eighty five yards. Mackenzie Alexander had a, a great game in a contract year. They're going to need that performance again because I mean, the Texans receivers. They, they don't really have any right now outside of Will Fuller, who's now um, suspended. So they have a good matchup to, you know, airlock these guys in coverage and force Watson to make some tight window throws that he can definitely make. And he can definitely you know ruin the Bengals day like that. But that, that's what's going to, that's what it's going to take. You know, if they can keep this game in reach and they're able to kind of lean on the running game, like they did against the Steelers, they definitely have a chance to make this competitive win. So let's, Call our shot, drop the mic, and then we will get out of here, my friend. What do you what are you calling this week for the Bengals against the Texans? You know, I was I did my film review on the Steelers game, and I, I wanted to appreciate and give you know kudos to what Mike Daniels is really doing for this defense line. He's doing so many things, and he's still winning as a pass rusher. I'm going to say he sacks Deshaun Watson. I don't think he's had a sack. This year, outside of like maybe one or two that, I, that I'm forgetting off the top of my head, I'm going to say he stacks Deshaun Watson. Um, I don't think that we're going to see as much offensive success, probably not 27 points, because that was mainly off a of short field. So, probably more of a low scoring game in this one. You know, Deshaun's going to do some things. 
but you know he's just throwing to nobody's out there, and the Bengals secondary is one of their biggest strengths. So I'm going to say a, a low-scoring game, kind of similar to some of those early playoff games against the Texans. Like being the Steelers primetime, now going to Houston at Houston and facing them, like they're just checking off. They have the chance to check off two demons in two weeks. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, Mike Daniels, man, it, it's been a fun year uh, following that guy. I mean, we've had him on the show a couple of times. He's an immensely entertaining guy. And to see him bounce back and be a productive player after experiencing some injuries and, and all of that, um, it's been really fun to watch him. And like you said, John, he's done a lot of different stuff on the defensive line, eating up you know, double teams and um, getting some pass rush. He's, he's just been a, a productive guy in this defense quietly. I don't think a lot of people are noticing that. So um, good to bring that up. You know, I think, I think we're going to see, uh, gosh, I feel like I maybe say this every week, but maybe this is the big AJ game. Maybe this is the one that he, he gets that, that touchdown and um, you know, cements himself as a, a top Chad Johnson in franchise annals for um, you know, some of the top receiving marks here. I, I'd really like to see him do it. It's sounding more and more like he may not be back in Cincinnati next year, which, you know, based on how this year played out and really the past couple of years, I guess it's not all that surprising, but um, I'd like to see him really end the, end the year on a, on a couple of high notes. And I think maybe that happens this week. Yeah. I meant to kind of look that up because he had, I think like 30 yards in this game off of that one catch. So he's still, I mean, he's, he's not going to get the yards, but he needs, yeah, two touchdowns to break Chad, like five touchdowns to break Pete Johnson. And after that video dropped um, from the Bengals official Twitter account, like everyone was saying, you know, feed Chad or feed AJ, feed AJ so many targets. And this is it's a good opportunity to do that because I don't think the Texans have a lot of competent guys in their secondary. So if Finley has to rely on someone in the passing game, might as well be AJ. Yeah. You got a score prediction before we bounce on out? Oof. Uh, let's go 20 to 10 Texans. 20 to 10 Texans. Okay. Uh, I'll say, I'll say 23, 17 Houston. Um, I think it'll be kind of close. I just, I don't, I think the Bengals maybe, uh, put, (laughs) I don't know how much left is in the tank after Monday. I just, I emotionally and maybe even physically, I mean, they were, they really went all out. That's that's the biggest thing. It's not that it's not that we don't think that they're capable of being the Texans. It's like, that was such a high that it's just it's it's just hard to for me to imagine them matching that with the state of what their team is right now. It would be yeah. great to see, but I'm just not expecting it. I would be very impressed if they were able to match that intensity and and physicality and all of that. If they were able to do that, especially on a short week and not not against a rivalry team per se. I mean, I would be very impressed with that. But I, I just unfortunately, I, I wish I could see it happen, but I don't see it happen. And uh, apparently, I'm I'm really funny. In case you can't hear in the background there, John. Uh, happy holidays, man. Thanks for everything you do for for this program. You uh, you bring it every week, and you know I I. Just I'm very grateful for what you bring to the program and uh, happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to our listeners and their loyalty to this program as well. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to Regan in the background. We can't uh-huh. see him, but we can. He's going to have him. a happy holiday. <laughs> oh yeah. I, Santa I treated him well. So <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate it, John. appreciate all of you tuning in. Um, we will be back at it on Sunday. Narragansett pregame show post-game show and we'll be keep we'll keep bringing you all kinds of different episodes of the orange and black insider through the rest of the offseason get you some draft coverage free agency coverage all of that john have a good uh, holiday and we'll see you soon talk to you soon